Welcome back to the Hunt Gather Talk Podcast. I am your host, Hank Shaw, and we are sponsored by eFish and Filson. Thanks a ton for spending part of your day with us. Today, we are going to talk about catfish. Yes, barbells, the fish that people love or the fish that people love to hate. Catfish are kind of a controversial fish, in uh, at least in American culture, and we're going to go into that with my friend and guest, Jonathan Wilkins. Jonathan uh, lives in Arkansas, and he fishes catfish quite a bit. And between the two of us, we have fish for all kinds of cats, uh, everything from some of the saltwater catfish like gaff top sail and hardheads. And, and then there's another saltwater catfish up in New England, but also the more common freshwater cats like flatheads and channel cats and blue cats and white cats and such like that. And even, yes, bullheads. So we're going to go into catfish lore how to catch catfish, what makes catfish good to eat, what makes catfish not so good to eat. And we'll get a little bit into the cultural backgrounds of the cats as well. So so I hope you enjoyed today's show. And here we go. Jonathan Wilkins, welcome to the Hunt Gather Talk podcast. It's a good one for turnabout because I was just on your podcast. And I think we're going to talk about something that you don't, I don't think I've actually ever heard you talk about publicly, which is to say, you know, the not duck hunting portion of your life. Oh, yeah, I talk about it. Some because I like guide folks on these trout lining trips, but uh, yeah, it's probably not as sexy as duck hunting. Probably, probably. But so Jonathan Wilkins, if you guys out there don't know, he runs an outfit called Black Duck Revival, which is duck and goose hunting operation in Arkansas. He and I have been friends for damn near 10 years now. I think it was 2013, wasn't it? Something. Whenever Duck, Duck, Goose came out. Yeah, 2013. And you're a former chef. And all around man about town, but uh, tell some people about what you've been doing lately because you've kind of blown up with what is it Sitka, and then the revival thing is kind of a big going concern in terms of uh, being an outfitting operation, right? Yeah. So I had built this, or I had bought this old church in this town called Brinkley, which is kind of like the halfway point between Little Rock and Memphis. And initially, it was just going to be a duck camp for me and my friends and my family and whatnot. And like, long story short is I just bought a, just a rotten, falling down, termite infested place. And so I had to like gut everything, the floor, joists and everything and rebuild it. And I wasn't really financially set up to take that hit. So I started airbnb it to other duck hunters to try and recoup some of the expenditure. And then I started taking some friends out, you know, hunting and cooking for them and showing them how to process birds. And I mean, just a lot of the same stuff we've done working together. And I just really liked it and it was really resonant with me and it seemed like I was good at it. So I decided to try and do that a little bit more as far as like, you know, professionally. And then, yeah, I just got a bunch of attention and suddenly that's what I was doing. And then that led me into now I'm working with and for Sitka, writing for different publications and, I've done a few small kind of, I guess everything now is not a video, it's a film. So I've done some short films, you know, and uh, yeah, video yeah. gives it video gives you the impression that are you in like Scottsdale or Culver City doing something that we should probably not know about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds dirty, man. Like you have, <laughs> like you have to go through the beaded curtain door frame. Uh, but no, yeah. So that's what I do now. And the guiding kind of part of it is. I mean, at, actually, it's what gets the most attention, but it's kind of admittedly a smaller part of what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I really only do like a handful of those a year. Uh, mm. And but then, yeah, I do in the springtime, I do these trot lining and limb lining 
kind of bayou, immersive bayou catfishing trips that, you know, kind of my dirty little secret is, is I think those are, for me personally, those are more fun than even the duck hunts because there, there's so many moving parts to a waterfowl hunt, you know, and there's more people involved. And so getting to do this for just like one or two people, just have it be like a super personal kind of experience. Cause like I'm taking you fishing, we're catching fish together. I'm cooking for you. I'm showing you how to process them. We're doing all that stuff. And it's just, you know, it's just kind of small scale and, and kind of anybody who's going to get on a plane, fly to the Arkansas Delta to go run limb lines and trout lines is they're kind of already inherently not an a-hole. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, like I dated a girl one time and her dad said that uh, he never met anybody who liked listening to Towns Van Zant that was an a-hole. And I kind of feel like it's the same deal. Like if you're willing to to put that level of work into getting the Brinkley, Arkansas, for me to take a catfishing, you're probably, I can spend two days with you, you know? Well, let's hope that that streak doesn't end. Yeah. I'm sure I've just jinxed myself and Giuliani or something's going to come fishing with me, but <laughs> super ragingly drunk talking about it. <laughs> like, dude, it's nine in the morning. Yeah, man. We're trying to catch fish and look at the warblers out here, buddy. <laughs> So yes, yeah, so catfish is the topic of the day. And I think what's interesting about you know both our respective experience with catfish is you now we're gonna get into it a little bit in a second, but I think Craig, actually let me start. Did you grow up catching catfish? Uh no, I didn't really grow up catching much of anything at all. Like yeah. my fishing was pretty much limited to, you know, like worms and bobbers and catching brim. I don't think that. I'm trying to think. I don't know that I'd ever caught anything other than a brim before I was an adult. Yeah. So same here with me with catfish. So I grew up in the ocean, of course, so it wasn't really much of a, I mean, there is a one ocean catfish that lives in the North Atlantic, but it's pretty rare. But yeah, so catfish for me started when I was about 27, when I moved to Virginia. And, you know, catfish is not a thing in the North. We're, yeah. we're going to talk about that as well. So catfish is kind of not a thing in the North, but catfish is a big thing in Virginia. And in Virginia, there are at least three different kinds of catfish that you can catch on a regular basis, which would be the blue, the white, and the channel. And I lived in Fredericksburg, Virginia, uh, and the Rappahannock is right there. And as it happens, they allow you to do trot lines in Virginia. So it's funny that my sort of formative catfish experience is very similar to yours in the sense that yeah, there's this three, this trio of cats, and then you can actually you know, trot line for them. You don't really jug line in a river, but yeah. So it's this kind of different world from anything else in freshwater fishing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like like I've never, I haven't done very much. No, I haven't done any ocean fishing at all because one time I tried it, I just got seasick. But uh, it, I mean, it's essentially like small scale long lining, isn't it? A little bit. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can actually run a long line for cats in some places. And, and I, I think the longest I ever set was like 10 hooks. But normally it's, I mean, at least for me, I'll tell you what I do or what I did. And you tell me what you do. So sure. what I used to do in the Rappahannock is I used to go, I was a newspaper reporter at the time. So what I would do is I would run a line after work. And so you've got a, basically an anchor, you know, a rock or a big sinker and what I would do is I would have the, the main line attached to the sinker and then it's attached to a tree or something else on the, on the shore. And then I would run lines off that main line 
that had a semi-floating corn kernel-y thing. Like it was a float, but not a float. So it would keep the bait off the bottom, but only a little bit off the bottom and into the current. And then you'd run that every, you know, 12 inches or so on that main line. And then it's fish guts or some other kind of bait on it. And you throw it out into a kind of a pool, you know, not the mainstream of the river, but kind of a place where the water is eddying around. And then you just throw it and then you go home and have a life. And then you check it in the morning. And then I used to have a cooler in my truck. And if I had fish in the morning, I would put some river water in the cooler and put the catfish in it. And the catfish would be super chill and be all alive by the end of the work that day. And then you process them and then you eat some catfish and then rinse, repeat. When you checked that trot line, were you like hauling the whole line back in? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the way that I do it, I run longer uh, lines than just 10 hooks. Mm, Uh, Okay. So if all I was doing was running a trot line, I might have 30 on there. And the way the regs read here in Arkansas, you'd have to have two feet between each drop, right? Mm. So like legally, you got to have at least 24 inches between each drop. Kind of the standard way we would do it is like on a, say like a bayou or a small river or stream or something. I would just tie off to the base of a tree on each side of that body of water. I would run my drops off. So my drops are going to be doubled up braided nylon drop down. They're going to have a, you know, just like a crimp on lead sinker on them to keep mm-hmm. them actually down. I like running a four-aught either circle hook or an octopus hook. I find that that, that kind of forces the hook into the corner of the fish's mouth. And so you don't have fish getting off. And I run like 12 inch long drops. I would run it all the way across the water. And then in the middle that line, I would tie a weight. So like, I mean, just anything works, right? Uh, what I use now is a, just like a five pound weight with a carabiner on it. I just tie a loop in the middle of that line and hook it on there. And so then what you end up with is that goes all the way to the bottom. You're secured on either side. And so then you have those lines mirroring each other on either side, working their way down at different depth levels. Ah, okay. uh, and so I've done that. Uh, you can do like a floating trot line where you put a weight on either end and then go say five feet in the line and put a float on there. So you can like set the entire line, say five feet underwater in a straight line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's a million different configurations with it. And yeah. And then, like you said, I only run jug lines on usually that's like a lake sort of thing. Right. So like when I do these guided trips, We'll go down like a real skinny little bayou and we will run limb lines for like two miles all the way down. And then I get to this kind of open spot where it pulls up and then I'll run a trot line across the channel that way. And then you end up with just like a ton of hooks spread out over a couple of miles, real pretty stuff. And yeah, it's a great way to kind of do a meat haul, you know? And a limb line, if you're, if, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it's just, it's a, what you see in swamp people. It's essentially, you find a tree limb that is hanging over a pool or something like that. And you run a fucking bait on, from the tree limb, right? Yeah. So like I'm fishing for catfish pretty much the same way those guys in swamp people are for alligators, except obviously smaller tackle. And they run their hooks above the water. And then I'm going to run mine down in the water. Right. And then, yeah, man, like as far as bait, I mean, you can literally use anything almost, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's catfish. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So like the 
there'd be like four species here. It'd be blues, channels, people call like bullheads here or like mm. yellow cats. Yep. And uh, then flatheads. Oh, you do have flatheads there. Okay. Oh, we got tons of flatheads. I mean, that's what you want to catch, but flatheads are really like a live bait thing. So Yes, they are. I was going to mention that. Yeah, so that would be kind of a deal where if I was going for flatheads, I would go out before I said it starts setting lines. I'd go out and I just would just rod and reel, catch a whole bunch of like little green sunfish, mm-hmm. and I would back hook them and set the trot line or the limb lines the same way. Yep. Usually for ease, like on these guided trips, what I actually use is uh, this stuff called Zote soap, which is cold pressed Mexican laundry soap. You can buy it at Walmart for like a dollar thirty a block. And you get like, just cut like a little half inch by half inch cube out of it and give you like 50 baits for a buck and a half. And it's a cold press soap. So, you know, think of like fight club style, like, you know, with made with fat. So it's going to put off a really long scent trail. It's got like kind of a citronella kind of scent to it. Hmm. And I learned about it because that's what the game and fish uses when they do catfish surveys. That's the bait that they use. <laughs> and, uh, I'm buddies with a guy who was head of fisheries there and he was telling me about that. So I started doing it and I'll be honest with you, man, I've run, I mean, I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds. I mean, I'm probably up in the thousands of lines I've run on this kind of stuff and I've used hot dogs. I've used garlic soaked and Kool-Aid dipped hot dogs and gizzards and hearts. <laughs> Kool-Aid Any, dipped hot dogs. Yeah, man. You, you know, just anything, anything to put a scent trail out. Right. And I have a better catch rate by probably 50% with Zote soap than anything else. And it's like the least disgust, like you don't have to ferment the bait. Your hands aren't all stinky and gross. I mean, it's a killer bait, man. This podcast brought to you by Zote soap. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. I, that's a new one. That's actually, uh, I'm trying to think of what is a, you know, I mean, it's of all of the catfish baits that I have used over the years. Trying to think of one that's not gross other than the live fish for flatheads, and I'm coming up empty. So, Zote soap might be the thing. Yeah. I mean, I, years ago, I had read somewhere on the internet about using ivory soap. And so I set two trot lines out, one with hot dogs and one with ivory soap. And I caught exactly the same number of fish on both trot lines. Hmm. But ivory soap is, I mean, it's like just a bar of soap you're used to, right? It's kind of hard to get on a hook, it's kind of brittle. Zote soap is softer, it's more kind of waxy consistency. And so, I mean, it goes on a hook really easily. Now, here's something to keep in mind about this. This would not work if you were rod and reel fishing. You need a long soak for this bait to work. So it works great for these sorts of applications. But if you were just casting a rod and reel out for catfish, you know, I'd be putting an earthworm or something on there. And let's talk about the world's most popular catfish bait, which is a chicken liver. Sure. Ever since the first day I ever said, hey, man, I want to go catch some catfish. And this would be in Virginia. Every single person is like, you need to use chicken livers. Like, that seems problematic because, you know, anyone out there who's ever picked up a chicken liver knows it's not terribly firm. Mm-hmm. And unless you happen to get the barb of the hook through that one tiny little piece of gristle, they don't stay in the hook real well. So yeah, that's, you got to throw an entire thing of chicken livers, you know? Well, you know, that's, that's the thing. Like the old timers would tell you, you hook it and then you wrap a little piece of like pantyhoe around there and it'll stay on. Yeah, yeah, but you know it's a lot of work though, and then you got to get that pantyhoe back off that barb. It, that, that, and then you have to actually walk into a store and buy some pantyhose. Oh, well, you might just have them at home, Hank. You know, <laughs> whatever you're into. 
I, I, what goes on when the cameras are off is up to you. <laughs> I'm a big believer in catch something and then use the guts of that something to catch the next thing. Sure. I mean, it's, I learned it from sharking because the single greatest bait to catch a shark is what was in the previous shark's stomach. And if it was nothing, use the actual stomach. Yeah, man. You know what works great is uh, like duck intestines. Ah. Jesse Griffiths, he told me that, man. He uh, came up and I showed him a few, the few little tricks I know about trot line. And then he started going down there back to Texas and doing that and just wearing them out with duck guts. So he's freezing blocks of duck guts because you don't catch them at the same time as you, you hunt ducks usually. No, man. I think he's when he's doing his hunt schools down there in Texas, I think that he's primarily doing deer and hogs. And then as they get later into the season, they'll shoot a few ducks on a pond. And then I think he'll run a trot line then. That's kind of a misnomer. Is You can catch, at least here in Arkansas, I mean, you can catch catfish year-round on these methods. And I would even say that you're going to get a higher quality eating fish if you catch them in November or December as opposed to like August. That's interesting. So because that's counterintuitive because virtually everybody who thinks about catfish we're like, oh yeah, it's got to be really hot. Got to go out in the middle of the night, got to drink a case of beer, and then you're going to catch your catfish at like two in the morning. Oh no, man. You know, I actually, so to me, the thing that most affects the quality of the fish when you're talking about eating it would be the temperature of the water. Yeah. Right? I find so, that too. I was just actually talking to somebody about largemouth and there, somebody was giving this woman all kinds of hard time for eating largemouth, but she's in Northern Michigan. And I guarantee you that largemouth tastes perfectly fine. Whereas I also guarantee you that a largemouth caught in a farm pond when it's 110 degrees out is not going to be fine. Yeah. It's also a matter of like the amount of distress the fish is under too, right? So as the temperature goes up, I'm going to check my lines more often. So, you know, like right now where I was just telling you, like it's basically a hundred degrees every day. I wouldn't go longer than 12 hours without checking my lines. And that's, there's a couple factors for that. One, you know, you start dealing with like less oxygen in the water. You got these stressed fish. They can die on you if it gets too hot. They also, you deal with a lot more loss as far as snapping turtles where I'm at. Uh. So you'll, you'll roll up on a trot line and I mean, just half of the fish is gone. It's been eaten up by uh, snappers. So, but yeah, man, like good cold water or like if you were fishing the White River here in Arkansas, you know, that's a dam controlled river as you go further north and that water stays cold. You can catch those fish. You know, you're dealing with water that's probably by the dam, I don't know, 48, 50 degrees year round. So those fish, if you catch them in the middle of the summertime, the channels will be like pure white because the water is so cold and so pure. And those are some of the best eating catfish you can get in the state of Arkansas. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. It's just, it's interesting that to hear, you know, it's one of those things that I don't know why I never thought about it because I think about it a lot with other species of fish, but I just kind of in my mind's eye, like, well, catfish live in hot water, which is really not that true because the single greatest catfishing experience I've ever had in my life and probably ever will have in my life was near Winnipeg, Manitoba, where there is a population of mega channel cats. Like every single channel cat is 20 pounds or better. Every really? single one. And it's a catch and release fishery, but it's perfect because as you well know, catfish are super chill. They're like the big Lebowski of fish in the sense that <laughs> this, is, this is fine. We're fine. And 
A, they're super fun to catch. And B, there's just a billion of them. And I think we caught 20 in a half a day of fishing. And every single one of them was 15 pounds or better. And somewhere over 25. But you had to throw them all back? Yeah. Yeah. Man, that would break my heart. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sort of. I mean, the other thing was we were catching freshwater drum at the same time. And then I kept them. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, you and me are kind of on the same page with like, I don't really... I mean, really, the only time I throw fish back is if it's uh, <laughs> the law tells me I have to. You know? Right. Which is this was the case. I was on book tour and it was uh, I had an extra day and everybody talked about this fishery. And I'm like, I got to get a piece of it, even if it is only catch and release. It's funny sure. that the only two intentional catch and release trips I have ever taken were both in Manitoba. One was for brook trout and one was for these cats. Quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Filson. Filson Sporting Goods has for 125 years, their uncompromising commitment to quality has defined their authenticity. They have built trust within the community to become more than just a clothing brand. They are stewards of the American outdoor tradition. I have worn their gear for more than 25 years. I've worn it fishing, hunting, and even in just regular foul weather. I am almost always wearing a Filson lightweight rain jacket when uh, I'm fishing in rainy weather because it is at the same time light and waterproof. I love it to death and you should check it out too. Now back to the show. Yeah, you know, man, I wonder if people just associate catfish with hot weather because they're so associated with fish fries, right? And like the time of year that you do fish fries. And just the South in general. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I think a lot of people think, I hear this all the time with duck hunting. People are like, oh, you don't have to worry about that because it doesn't get that cold where you're at. And I'm like, uh, dude, it's, <laughs> I go out duck hunting plenty when it's 12 degrees, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, it does get cold. I mean, it's not as pervasively cold as Montana, but yeah, it, I mean, we've got weather, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, so the catfish line, I actually don't know a ton about this and I wish I knew more, but I do know that there culturally there's, it roughly mirrors the Mason Dixon line, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the catfish line of north of that line. Only those other people eat catfish and, you know, and basically I have heard those other people include Asians, black people, Easterners, Southerners, like whoever is not you other, you know, white people from other groups. It's like, it's this weird kind of nose in the air idea about cats. Once you get up north and th- that line actually squiggles a bit because bullheads are kind of popular in Iowa. And that's, I would consider that a Northern state. Yeah. And then South of that line, everybody eats catfish and that those distinctions go away. And so it's just, it's kind of an odd feature of the United States. Yeah, man. I'll tell you what, Hank, I really like, honestly, man, I did not know that catfish were looked at in any sort of derisive way until probably a year and a half ago. I didn't know that people, you know, stuck their noses up at them because I mean, I grew up in St. Louis, which is below the catfish line. Yes. And then I moved down to central Arkansas and I've been down here for 20 years now. And yeah, it just never even occurred to me that, I mean, cause I've just grown up my whole life eating fried catfish and it being delicious and thinking that those critters were so cool. And <laughs> yeah, man. And then I started finding out that people thought it was, I mean, they were putting it in the same camp as carp, carp, raccoons snow geese you know like all this stuff that i told my wife mary and i was like dude i'm kind of getting a reputation for a person who eats garbage and then teaches people how to eat garbage but welcome to my world (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. no no i mean i'm definitely uh 
<laughs> a product of some of your tutelage on that, right? So, but yeah, catfish, I, it just never even occurred to me that people would be like, I get people saying I never eat a raccoon, but I, it just never occurred to me that people would be like, I'd never eat a dirty old catfish. Have you ever eaten a catfish? They're great, man. Well, especially a flathead. Oh, it's, man, a flathead is, the texture is different. You know, it's, I mean, lobster is too far of a comparison, but it's almost like you mixed a lobster tail and a catfish together. I mean, I do find it wildly amusing that the, in my opinion, by far the ugliest of all catfish is the tastiest. Yeah. looks like a giant booger. (laughs) Yeah. They're absolutely, they're like mottled and slimy and mucinologenic or whatever, man, but good Lord, they're good. And it's, they're good all the way around, right? You know, so you get some of these, like a big blue, you start getting that belly meat. Once they start getting over like maybe four or five pounds, like a lot of people don't want to mess with the belly meat. But a flathead is just every single inch of it's good, man. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think other than, well, there's a gaff top sail catfish in the Gulf of Mexico. That's a saltwater cat. That's a predator. But I think the only other catfish that's a, if not obligate, but primarily a predator is the flathead. Thus the live bait. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, because yeah, you're not. I mean, you could think of the grossest thing possible and put it on a hook, and you could catch a channel or a blue. The only times I know of people that have caught a flathead on something that was not live bait was something that was mimicking live bait. So that was like, you know, someone had a dead fish and they were trolling it behind a moving boat, and so it mm. was flapping around. Or I caught a flathead last year. I'd set my lines. I'd come back. I was coming back through. I pulled a fish off of a line that was set early and I just looked around the bottom of the boat and had like this tail and I hooked it on there and the way it was sitting, it was just kind of fluttering in a little eddy. And I came back the next day and I had like a small channel cat on it, but yeah, man, they're great. They're uh, and you know, they can get like a blue too. the eating quality of a blue catfish is going to drop precipitously as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. But with a flathead, I mean, a three-pound flathead tastes as good as a 20-pound tastes as good as a 50-pound. Mm. Yeah, I don't have a ton of experience with flatheads, which is something I need to fix, actually, because it's... They're awesome, dude. Like, you, yeah, come down here sometime, man. We'll go out in the river and catch them. They're good. Yeah. So channels are probably the catfish that most... Channels and bullheads are probably the two cats that most people catch in the United mm-hmm. States. I think channel cats essentially are the rainbow trout of catfish. okay yeah because they i mean they're incredibly adaptable i mean shit they live from mexico to manitoba and they eat anything and they can really 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 respond to uh aquaculture yeah the entire catfish industry is channel cats unless i'm wrong Uh, i think you're right i've never seen anything other than channels yeah and so i mean channels are and they're kind of the standard we don't have the. Uh, we do actually have them. We have them in the sloughs here in California. Somebody dropped them in the uh, in kind of the agricultural system, so they live in all the agricultural water, which is a little bit sketchy. But because uh, it's not, it's not like we don't use pesticides in California, but you can't really catch them in the rivers. There, I mean, again, I'm thinking of the time that I caught one, but it's like it's very very rare to catch catfish in our big rivers. But they've been brought everywhere. Yeah, yeah, they. As I understand it, you know, and like, I'm no expert, but I mean, dude, you could take, here's the other thing about them is they're air gulpers too, right? Yes. So you could take a catfish if it wasn't too 
hot, you could probably take a catfish and throw it in the bed of your truck and drive it around for a couple of hours. You know, go to the bar, drink some beers, go have a burger, go home and be like, oh man, I got this catfish flopping around and throw it in the pond in your yard or something. And that thing will be all right. It wouldn't have enjoyed its experience, but it's probably going to survive. You know? Other than the throwing it in the pond, that almost exact same thing used to happen to me all the time in Fredericksburg because, you know, I was in my 20s and I'd have these four or five channel cats in the cooler with like an inch of water. <laughs> and then, you know, a story would break and I'd be at work until 11 o'clock at night. And I got home and I'd open the cooler and these catfish would be like, could you like let us go or do something? Because we're just still here. And they'd all be there looking at you breathing. Hey, everybody, I wanted you to know that this podcast, Hunt, Gather, Talk, the season three, is a companion to my latest cookbook, which is Hook, Line, and Supper. Hook, Line, and Supper is probably the only fish and seafood cookbook you're ever going to need. It is a comprehensively written, lushly illustrated book that covers both freshwater and salt. And it is kind of the crowning achievement of what I've done in terms of all of my cookbooks over the years, because I have been fishing for decades and decades and decades, and I have fished all over the country, and I have eaten basically anything that lives in the water, and you are going to find that expertise in Hook, Line, and Supper. I wanted to give you guys, as listeners of my podcast, a special offer. If you go to my website, which is Hunter Angler Gardener Cook, you can get to it at huntgathercook.com, and you go to the Buy the Book section, and you buy a copy of not just Hook, Line, and Supper, but any of the books on that website, you will get 20% off your checkout by using the coupon code HUNTGATHERTALK. So once again, if you are interested in buying the cookbook that underlies this podcast, go to my website, which is Hunter Angler Gardener Cook, that is HuntGatherCook.com, and go to the Buy the Book section and use the coupon code HUNTGATHERTALK, and that will give you 20% off your order. One more thing, if you buy three books or more, I will upgrade your shipping to UPS from Media Mail, which will get it to you much, much faster. Again, the coupon code is HuntGatherTalk on my website, Hunter Angler Gardener Cook. Uh, it's HuntGatherCook.com. And thank you for listening. Man, I'll tell you how I started going about handling my fish. And I talked to a fish biologist about this a bunch, because especially since I was taking people out, I didn't want to be like kind of one of these slob guides that it bothers me the way people treat fish and people do the same thing with birds. And I think it's some sort of mammalian prejudice we have, but you know, folks just treat them like they've got no inherent worth. And I think they've dispelled this myth now, but you know, for a long time I heard be like fish don't feel pain or, right. or whatever. And it's like, man, you pull a four out hook out of a channel cat's mouth and listen to him grunt. Like I'm pretty sure he feels something. But so what I do is I try, so one, when I'm checking my lines, I try and be efficient about it, right? So I'm moving along. I'm going to throw them directly down into ice, like not that, you know, five pounds of ice in a cooler that'll hold 50 pounds. Like I bury them up in ice, which helps to induce like a state of torpor. So you don't get spiked. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, you're still, uh, I still get spiked every once in a while. It's. I'm all right with it, man. I mean, I'm killing fish. Like it's all right. If I get up, my fingers get busted up a little bit, but, uh, so I'll get them iced down immediately, which I also think is going to help you tremendously as far as like table fare quality. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as we get them back there to the lodge, cause I'm only fishing like, you know, a 10 minute drive away from the lodge. What do you call that? It's 
Ikajime. Is yeah, that you what spike them. You spike them in the head, right? Yeah. So if catfish, like right at the, between their eyes, they've got this little soft spot and you can just run like a kind of like a sharpened piece of a coat hanger straight into their brain. Like I just run it to till I hit their spinal column and I wiggle it around and they'll like do a quick flop and then they're totally still. And I've seen a better quality in the meat doing it that way. Uh, keeping them cold, keeping them cold, killing them quick. And yeah, man, just, I mean, kind of the way I was taught to handle fish <laughs> was, was so inherently disrespectful and also like just the worst thing you could do if you want to eat something. hundred so. percent. I mean, you know, I grew up in New Jersey at a time when bluefish had no season, no bag limit and bluefish can run from, you know, eight inches to 25 pounds. And they're a hot, they're big. Imagine a, imagine a piranha fish that's 20 pounds that hates everything. And that's a bluefish. So they're angry fish. They travel in wolf packs and they have underslung jaws like piranha fish. And they're like, <laughs> but you, they're fun to catch. And so we would just chuck them on the deck, you know, chuck them on the deck and fill garbage cans full of them. No ice, sometimes ice, but usually no ice. And like, why are you know, everybody be like, why is bluefish so terrible to eat? I'm like, well, that's the same thing. And, and the only thing I would do differently with your method of cats is I would spike them. I would spike them and then put them on ice. Yeah, I've really, I have been considering that and I might start doing that. I've actually got to take somebody out next week and I might start doing that. Just get it over with right away and then throw them right on the ice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, you, you catfish your fish and, you know, you treat your, we had whole, whole podcast episodes on the best way to treat your fish. And you see the wood shampoo is another option, which is our term for a club, which is in some ways better with a catfish. So you just, you know, you take a, well, I'll put it this way. When I was a kid, I used to go to Yankee Stadium for bat day. And it was it's like a bat that's as long as your forearm. So it's a kind of a, it's a tchotchke. But it's a real bat. It's a real wooden bat with, you know, you, at that time it had Richie Jackson's name on it. And yes, I'm dating myself. But uh, every fisherman in the 100 miles would go to Yankee bat day <laughs> to get the bat because that's what you use to kill bluefish and tuna and that kind of stuff. And so to that end, you know, just club them, put them on ice. And then go from there. I think that you're going to go a long way to getting a, you know, because what you want is that not bloody flag. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. I'm going to, it's interesting you bring that up because I have thought about that a lot and I probably will try that. I'll do that next week. And uh, just as a comparison to see, see if it tastes better. And then too, man, like you're never going to lose if you're treating the animal better. Right. 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 Do you have, other than that, we've talked about the flatheads where, you know, it doesn't matter how big the flathead is, flathead's going to be good. But do you have a kind of a personal size limit in terms of eating cats? Uh, blues and channels, man. I honestly, I don't keep them at over. No. Okay. I said, I only throw them back. If the law says I throw back pretty much everything over five pounds. Five. Huh? Okay. Yeah. So the way I distinguish catfish is like eaters, which would be. I don't know, pound and a half up to like five pounds. And then like a, a little small catfish down here in the South, we call those fiddlers. Mm. And so those just historically, you would just skin those whole and just fry them up whole and eat them like that. You wouldn't bother filleting them. And part of the reason too, that I throw back fish over five pounds is because in my experience, most of those, like when you really get those big, Think about pre-spawn too, like the springtime. When you get those big fat catfish, those are females with eggs in them. So I'll throw them back. 
I, I'm occasionally I keep one. Like I've actually got a jar of uh, Channel Cat eggs packed in salt in the fridge right now to smoke and grind up on top of like uh, deviled eggs. Mm. But but yeah, man, I throw. I just find that like with especially blues channels, you can get away with a little bit more. Like I've kept channels up to ten pounds, but mm-hmm. I feel like blue catfish they the meat quality really starts to get mushy as you, the bigger you get. Yeah, I find that kind of in backwaters, like in Virginia, it's a big deal to catch a hundred pound blue cat. And that, you know, somebody does it every year and I've caught 60, 70 pound blue cats and we always throw them back in the water. Now the old school was just throw in the woods, which I guess is some sort of nutrient exchange, but it's, I wouldn't do it. But blue cats have apparently taken over this area of the Tappahannock river, which is it's brackish. So it's near Tappahannock. It is, I mean, it's the Rappahannock River near the town of Tappahannock, and it's on the northern neck of Virginia. And that area there has become loaded with them. And, and because it's brackish water, I have found, you know, this is years ago when they weren't everywhere, but you still catch them. 10 pound blue cat was perfectly good, like nothing wrong with it because it's, I think it's probably the saltwater influence, but that might just be a unique occurrence. Really? See, I was anticipating you saying that they were just terrible to eat because of the brackish water. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Salt water makes everything taste better. Hmm. Yeah, man, I don't have, I really don't have very much experience with, like, I don't really eat very much ocean fish. Like uh, when I was at your house, whatever that was, a month and a half ago, and mm-hmm. uh, you did that mahi-mahi ceviche. I was, oh, yeah, thinking, yeah. I was thinking about it this morning, man. Like it was so good. It made me want to figure out how not to throw up on a boat so that I could like an ocean boat so I could go catch fish out of the ocean. <laughs> well, okay. So number one, my first advice would be to go to the Gulf of Mexico because it tends to be a lot calmer. Okay. Because the period of the waves is so short in the Gulf, even four and five foot waves, which we don't even register as waves in the Pacific, they might not go out because it's like, pop, 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 pop. You're just going to get beat up. So typically when you go out in the Gulf, it's pretty calm, especially in the summertime. Now it's hot as balls, but it's often very, very calm. Second would be Southern California. Southern California is pretty, pretty calm. I mean, yes, you can get waves, but nothing like where I live. And the Chesapeake is another good option because the Chesapeake is relatively calm. San Francisco Bay is calm. And then take your boning or whatever it is that you're going to take too. So just, just in case. Yeah, I mean, I guess really the only time I did it, I was up in like Homer, Alaska going for halibut. And I mean, you want to talk about getting your butt kicked man <laughs> it, it messed me it was one of the worst experiences of my life and i i paid for it too you know like uh, and they, they you know you're out there like they can't stop the fishing trip oh no so, oh no my uh, one of my great moments in sports was i was on a, a boat called the tiger fish out of uh, at that time it was out of half moon bay which is just south of san francisco and it was rocking and rolling it was like what you're talking about and there was 18 of us on the boat and like 12 of them were like I think they were Japanese. They were Asian businessmen. Like, and I knew that they weren't, I mean, there's a lot of Asian American fishermen in that area, but these weren't them. These were like, this was a group from like not dressed appropriately and speaking, I'm pretty sure it was Japanese. And within an hour, all but one of them went down with seasickness. So that left like me, three other guys, and then one of that party still fishing. We fished until we caught limits for everyone on the orders of the captain. And it was like, all of those poor sons of bitches were just like, what? <laughs> it's just, 
for hours and hours and hours and hours. And those of us who were still upright were just like, oh, here's another fish. Here's another fish. Here's another fish. Yeah, it, dude, that's almost exactly what happened to me, except I was the only one who was sick. And the rest of the folks caught fish on my limit and then refused to let me have any of them. <laughs> what? Dude, you want to talk about well, that's mad. That's downright illegal. <laughs> dude, it was, yeah, it's in the past, man. But uh, yeah, it left that plus the bile left a bad taste in my mouth. Whoa. Man, let me, if I can ask you a question, what, uh, and you know, there's, Look, I know all sorts of good old boys who'll tell you, man, the only way to eat catfish, you deep fry that some bitch running cornmeal. But I mean, I enjoy it several different ways, man. But what uh I mean, besides just cornmeal frying, what are the ways that you're doing catfish? So I think, I mean, let's just state it right at the outset that fried catfish is one of the great things in life. Sure. So like I'm in no way am I hating on fried catfish because it's kind of amazing. I think because catfish is a real tight flake, especially in the smaller fish. One of the ways that I really like to do it is I have done, again, it's sort of fried, but it's, it's not totally fried. I have done the classic French sole meunier with a filet of like a, you know, 18 inch channel cat. And it's like got that tight flake. It's not a very thick filet. And basically what that is, is you dust it and you salt it, you dust it in flour, and then you cook it in a lot of butter. And then it's essentially like a lemon butter. It's a little bit like piccata. It's a little bit like mojo de ajo. It's like a garlic butter parsley kind of deal where after you have seared the fish that's been then dusted in flour, the sauce goes over it. It's kind of semi-smothered. And it's, I mean, I defy anybody to not like that dish. And it's- Do you do capers with it? Well, that's piccata. And yes, it's perfectly good. Like that's a great touch. Piccata uses a lot more lemon and capers. And it's one of the greatest ways to cook any kind of fish. But I tell you, the other thing I've learned is with those little, you call them fiddlers, the littler cats. Yeah. Um, and this would be not a real, but you could either use them whole. Cause you know, basically if you guys out there can't imagine it, when you take a smaller cat and you cut right behind its head, you skin the cat and then you cut right behind its head and you pull the head down. It pulls all the guts with it and often most of the skin. So you're left with what's essentially like meat on one bone. And it's very easy to eat at that point. It's uh, if you guys are from out there from like the upper, you know, mid Atlantic, New York, New Jersey area, it's exactly like a gigantic puffer fish fillet, which is a puffer fish is a big deal up there where it's the one spine bone and then the meat around it. And they're just one of the most amazing things to eat. Well, the cats are pretty much the same thing, but there's a Vietnamese dish called uh, clay pot catfish. Yeah. Yeah. You don't actually skin the fish. You cut steaks out of it and, you know, you don't want a really big catfish for this, but you cut steaks out of it and you cook them in this kind of fish sauce, caramel, chilies, garlic, and the skin lends a little bit of gelatinousness to the sauce, which is, sounds gross, but it isn't when you actually eat it because it, what it does is just thickens it up to give it a bit more of like, um, you know, if you've ever had Chinese food with the brown sauces on it that has a bit of thickness to it, it does the same thing. And that's a really, really good way to eat catfish. Thai curries are really another good option. I've done, you know, there's a, you know, caldo de pescado. There's an extremely famous, I guess it's extremely famous only if you know Mexican food, but there's a very famous dish in Mexican cuisine called caldo de oso, which literally means bear soup. And nobody fully knows the reason why it's called that, but it's called that. We think 
because it was what was fed to the people who were building the railroads and mining in Chihuahua. And they think that it was called that because it was caldo de odio, which is hateful soup because <laughs> they were eating it over and over and over again. But in Spanish, catfish is called bagre, B-A-G-R-E, and there's a lot of recipes for it. But typically you see it in stews and soups, and then occasionally you'll see it cut into pieces and fried for tacos. But again, like there's a lot of things that you can do with catfish, but I think the platonic ideal of eating catfish is dusted in cornmeal and eaten with like comeback sauce or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's that's where I'm going to go most of the time. I mean, obviously blackened is really great as well. True. You know, if you get like a, maybe like a pound and a half or so that's another thing too. And I guess it's not specific to the South, but like if you go up the road here to this, there's like this fried fish and chicken place up the road here called sharks. And if you get catfish, you can order fillets, steaks, or tails. Hmm. Right. And so steaks are like a big thing in the South. But if you get like a smaller one and you stake it out, you can do it like unagi, which works. I think it works really well for that. I just did a recipe for Sitka that was like I just wrung it around with a knife right behind the head and then skinned it down mm -hmm. and grilled it whole. And then just got like a, went out to the garden, and, you know, got like some okra and eggplant and stuff and did like a curry. And Wait, you have okra that. already in June? No, this was from. I did the recipe last year. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm actually kind of behind on my garden, but I mean, there's folks that have okra for sure already. Huh. But, and so like, you know, I like it grilled. I also like it. Now I'm using this because it's what I get the most of, but uh, like I've got zero problem smoking them and uh, you know, you can do patties with them or like I make, you know, essentially like, you know, Midwest tuna fish salad with it after I smoke it. and that's plenty good too. Like on a, I mean, shit just on like white bread. Right. So, I mean, I think there's a ton you can do it with it for sure. Yeah. I think smoking is, I'm glad you brought that up because there are very, very, very few freshwater fish that are legitimately good smoked. Somebody listening to wow, man, I smoke my large mouth bass all blah, blah, blah. Like, well, yeah, let me just tell you, it's not very good. You may like it, but it's just not very good. <laughs> it just isn't because it's too lean. And catfish. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good. That's what makes it good. Yeah. Yeah. Catfish is one of the very few freshwater fish that is enough fat to take smoke. Yeah. I mean, there's places that are known for it. I mean, there's a dude that I took fishing last year, Bradley Roberts, who's like really made a name for himself on YouTube with his barbecue channel called Chud's uh, Barbecue. I took him fishing and then he did a cooking video with one of the fish. And he was referencing this place in Chicago that was known for smoked fish. And one of the things they did was they staked up catfish and smoked it, like, you know, ran a needle and string through it and just hung it like that and smoked it. Hmm. And yeah, dude, it's great smoked. And yeah, man, if I'm really going for it, I've been kind of busy this spring, but if I'm really going for it, like, I mean, I'll stack up catfish. So, I mean, to the point that you've done some fish fries and you're getting a little tired of it and you need to do some different preparations and uh smoking's great but yeah too man i mean blackening i think it's phenomenal blackened uh which is also a great way to do it like right now man i'm not cooking anything inside my house it's 100 degrees <laughs> outside everything's happening outside right i will just put this note out there for anybody who's got it in their head do not make ceviche or sushi out of catfish i would say really ever but certainly not 
until you've frozen the fish for a week or so first in a box freezer because catfish will often be carriers of not necessarily tapeworms because you'd see them, but tapeworm larvae, which you cannot see. So there have been a number of incidences of people making uh, ceviche with lots of freshwater fish and catfish among them. And then they develop a tapeworm and they wonder why they lost all their weight and got sick. So if you're going to make a raw or a ceviche preparation with any freshwater fish, catfish included, freeze it first. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the ceviche thing because there's a Mexican restaurant down here I went to one time and they were serving catfish ceviche. And it, man, it just struck me as so unappetizing. And I guarantee you, you know, it was some farm raised catfish too. Uh, They've been eating old Roy dog food. Uh, I was just like, man, if there's one application, I would not want catfish in its ceviche. You know, I don't know that it would be terrible because probably what they were using is a frozen filet from a, a catfish farm, in which case they're perfectly fine. But yes, I mean, there is, see, because both of us are, we don't wrinkle our nose at eating catfish, but there's still that kind of whiff about it that both of us are like, eh. Know about that one, where yeah, yeah, I want some heat on it. Yeah, yeah, Cubion <laughs> is a really good method for catfish as well. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, yeah, the Cajuns have figured out a quite a few ways to do yeah. it. Yeah, really there's a, a Creole etouffee that you see in New Orleans sometimes, it's really quite good with, with catfish. Have you ever had like Creole catfish head stew? I haven't, but it sounds awesome. It's great, man. You just like, I'll do it sometimes if I get a bunch of like bigger ones. You just skin their heads out, basically chop their lips off and chop you know, behind, behind their eyes. And then, you know, you want them big enough for them to have that cheek meat. Mm-hmm. And then you just do kind of like a classic, like Creole gravy and stew them down in it and put it on, uh, put it on top of rice and kind of gnaw on the bones and suck the meat out. It's good, man. Huh. I've not, I actually, typically because Holly is kind of a fiddly eater and she's kind of, I've come around to this as well. If I'm going to do something like that, I'm going to pick all the meat off the heads and then serve it with no bones because it's just fiddly that way. But that's just a, it's actually cooler to look at with the actual heads in it, but probably easier to eat if you just pick the meat. Yeah, for sure, man. I like the uh, tactile nature of it. It's, it's like eating crawdads, right? Like crawdads wouldn't be near as fun to eat if you weren't cracking them open and sucking no. their brains out. Well, and you would also eat like 47 pounds. Like if it was just the tails, like, they're all gone. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a, there's a limiting factor with the yeah. work. Hunt Gather Talk is brought to you in part by eFish. Are you ready for summer? eFish delivers only in-season, never frozen, wild American-caught seafood right to your doorstep. How do they do that? eFish doesn't have a warehouse full of fish. Instead, their harvester direct seafood ships your order directly to you from the source. This means that in most cases, your order is still swimming when you place your order. The fish goes straight from the dock to you overnight. It doesn't get much fresher than that unless you catch it yourself. But most importantly, with eFish, you could always be sure that they put harvesters and our oceans first. What does that mean? Small boat operations, hook and line caught fish, and their products are never treated with chemicals. Truly handled with care from the minute it's hooked until it arrives at your doorstep. At eFish, they want you to see food confidently. So if you want access to Harvester Direct in-season seafood that is always fresh and never frozen, check out efish.com. That is e-fish.com. Get $15 off your first order with my special coupon code, HuntGatherTalk. That coupon code is HuntGatherTalk. 
Once again, that's e-fish.com. I want to talk about cleaning cats because that's an issue that gets people, people get kind of, you know, balled up about it because they think that they can't cut them just like a regular fish, which is, I'm here to tell you that you can cut them just like a regular fish. Like I have filleted any number of catfish exactly like a trout or a bass and it works just fine. But that said, there's lots of other ways to literally skin a cat. What's, how do you go about it? So most of the time, what I'm going to do is I like, you know, basically ring them around right, right behind their head and uh, just take a sharp fillet knife and run down, you know, like bifurcate them there, like on their spine. And then I'm going to grab a little bit of the skin with a pair of catfish skinners, which are like basically like these big plier type deals. And then peel the skin down like that if I'm going to fillet them. And then I fillet them just like you normally would. If they're big or they're flatheads or something, I'm going to wrap around and skin out the belly meat as well and fillet them that way. That's what I'm going to do if I'm going to fillet them. You know? And that's kind of like the classic Southern way, like run a nail through their head and nail them to a tree or a board and then skin them with a pair of pliers. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to have a tree with a basically a double-headed nail. So I, it was a finishing nail like for a deck that I had nailed yeah. the tree in my backyard. And then I took a, a file and filed the part that was not sitting in the tree into kind of a semi-dull spike and uh, would jam the catfish through that so they were on the tree. Yeah, or like I've, I mean, I always kind of keep like a two by, I don't know, like a three foot chunk of a two by 12 with a nail run through it and you just do it on the bed of your truck, just lay it there and, and just kind of slam the head of it real hard or kind of the chin of it hard on there and it sticks. Uh, Or like the board of death. (laughs) Hopefully they're already dead. (laughs) But, uh, or, you know, like I'll stake them up, just gut them and then stake them up and do them like that sometimes. Uh, Just depending on what application I'm going to use them, use on them. Have you ever grilled those steaks? I mean, yeah. Like if I'm doing like kind of Unagi style, that's what's going to end up happening with them. Mm, mm. Kind of grill them, paint them with like a sweet sauce, you know? Yep. I've grilled lots of fish steaks, but I've never grilled a catfish steak. So sometimes I grilled a shark steak once and the, the meat completely seized up and it was really weird looking. Like it just, it's kind of squinched up on itself. Mm. And it, I think I, what I needed to do is let that meat rest a lot longer. And I, I bet the same thing could happen with a cat too. I don't know, man. I've never, I mean, I haven't had that happen to me, but I mean, I'm telling you, man, like steaks grilled like that, paint them with a little sweet sauce or something like, the skin's tasty. It's a, uh, they're pretty good. Now, if I do that, I would, I mean, I like to get some of that mucosa off. So like I'll maybe give them a little scrub with some salt or something and then rinse them off. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the same. So we used to catch eels in the Rappahannock too. And I'd catch them on the prop line actually, usually in October. And the, if you knew it was eel season or you your chances are you can catch a lot of cats because that trot line caught a lot of white bass and, um, bluegills and sometimes striped bass as well besides cats but if you know that you're going to be into either cats and or eels i would buy you know 10 15 pounds of salt any kind of salt and put it in the bottom of a five gallon bucket and then when you get mr catfish or mr eel you chuck them in the bucket of salt and they don't like that at all (laughs) and it tends to kill them really really quick and it also completely deslimes them Hmm. hey oh that's actually a that's another point to bring up is if you do fish with that zote soap, it will eliminate any sort of bycatch. The only thing you're catching on that is catfish. Mm. And so like it, you know, I used to have a, an issue where I'd have a certain percentage of turtle bycatch, which 
became problematic for me because like, you know, if I was following, like, you know, if you're following the letter of the law, you know, you couldn't keep those cat, you couldn't keep those turtles because that wasn't a legal method of catching turtles in Arkansas. And turtles also tend to like swallow hooks. So I just didn't feel good about it. Right. Cause I was having to like cut the line and let them go. Now, subsequently I have gone down, I went down and spent like a couple hours at the game and fish headquarters <laughs> with like the rule books and everything and figured out a little bit of a way around that so that you could keep a few of the turtles. But I mean, you'll do that. You'll catch turtles down here. You'll catch turtles on like gizzards and hot dogs and whatever, but you're not catching anything but a channel or a blue cat on a chunk of soap. What about white cats? Do you have them there? Yeah, I heard you say that. I never, the only thing that I've ever referenced as white cats was those channel cats caught up in the white river that were, there's the water was so cold and clean that they kind of looked white. Ah, okay. What, yeah, yeah, what's a, the difference? It's another, just another species. Yeah. Hmm. It's, they can get real big too. Like, I think the biggest ones of all, I don't know if the biggest ones of all are blues or flatheads, but those are, I think, are the two largest in yeah. North America. And then whites get really big too. And, and then cats, channels are kind of the smallest, but even then, I've heard of them. At, I think I've even heard of one at 50, but I know I've heard of them at 30. Yeah, I would say that that's not unheard of. Do you ever run a hoop net for catfish? No, I haven't. Yeah, so like, you know, that's the thing too, is there's a long history of like commercial fishing for catfish in the South. Do you know what a hoop net is? I know what I know of, think of as a hoop net. Why don't you describe it? So imagine if you had like, I don't know, say you had like five hula hoops, you know, just like sitting up on their end. And then okay. there was a net. They were just kind of like, looked like a slinky or something with a net around it. And one side of it is tied up and comes to a point, And then the other side of it is open. And then there's a throat. There's a net throat inside of it that tapers down to the back. Oh, okay. So it's like a fish trap in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, and they come in different sizes and there's different rules on like how big the mesh can be and how big the hoops can be and whatever. And then, you know, you, there's like this process of waterproofing them with like tar and diesel fuel and stuff, I think. I don't know. Mm, uh, healthy. There's a, yeah, there's a place up in Memphis that's been doing it for like a hundred years that I go to to get mine. But yeah, man, it's like the way that you commercial fish for mainly catfish and buffalo fish down here in the south and yeah you would just you would put like a a mesh bag of whatever stinky stuff you wanted to down there in the bottom of it and then you'd have the hole oriented so that the hole was pointed downstream so that that scent carries downstream the fish Mm -hmm. will swim up in it and I mean, yeah, you can get massive hauls. I mean, you can get enough fish to sink your boat doing that. <laughs> and it's work. I mean, if no one's, if you haven't if never seen it, you should Google probably like a Louisiana, look up like Louisiana hoop netting. And man, it is, you get some hoop nets sometimes that are so much work to get in the boat. It's brutal, man. <laughs> but I mean, like, a lot of people will keep a commercial license in Arkansas just so they can go do that for a day or two and get enough to do a like a fish fry for a church or something. Or, you know, have enough catfish to last you the winter. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's not like a ton of people that are doing it just to make a living anymore because, I mean, it's a ton of work and you got to move quick and you got to have a ton of ice and all that. But it's still a way to make a way, you know. One of the interesting things I've noticed about, this is warm weather fish in general, but catfish in specific is that 
catfish are real tolerant of very, very high water temperatures. And one of the really interesting things about when you bring catfish home is, you know, you've got your fish on ice right away and you're doing the right thing with your catfish is then when you bring that to your refrigerator, it will keep in the refrigerator for 10, 14 days where, you know, a salmon or codfish or something that lives in water that is just barely above refrigerator temperature is going to deteriorate very quickly, even in the refrigerator. Catfish just don't do that. And consequently, you can, if you vacuum seal it, I've had catfish that are three years old that kept sealed that were perfectly fine, which is fairly unique among fish. Yeah. Now that you mention that, because, you know, I've got, uh, I mean, four feet away from me here, man, I've got a deep freeze. It's got a bunch of frozen catfish fillets in it and they're from last season. And yeah, I'll probably cook them this weekend. I'm not messed up about it at all. Would you ever, I know you got that fancy dry ager. Would you ever dry age a catfish? I won't say never, but I don't see any reason not to, except I'm not a terribly expert dry ager of fish yet. In fact, I'm going to have a guy on the podcast to talk more about it, but I bet you it would work. And I bet you what you would want to do is use a big chunk of a larger fish, you know, like Mm -hmm. a bigger, bigger flathead or something like that. Yeah. Because what I found out when I dry aged that gar is I put big giant slabs of gar meat in the dry ager, which keeps it at a high humidity at a low temperature for as long as you want. And it will dry out. And so what I found is that it affected the connective tissue a little bit, but I probably would have had to dry age the fish in the skin to really get a good effect. And I just, you know, obviously, you you know, five and a half foot gars, you're just not going to be able to do that. Have you started eating that gar yet? I have. I have. What'd you think about it? I like it. I don't like it as much as sturgeon. Um, okay. Because a sturgeon of, well, you can't really, well, you can keep a five foot sturgeon. 40 to 60 inches is the size limit. And the fish I caught was 56, I think. And so it's almost five feet long. They're a cartilaginous fish. So the connective tissue in a sturgeon is not nearly as tough as it is in a five and a half foot garfish. So the connective tissue is a real issue with large gar, and which is why the Louisianans make gar balls out of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, uh, that yeah. said, I mean, in fact, it's to the point where I don't know that I'll kill another big alligator gar. Now, small gar all day long because the texture of the meat is one of my favorite of all freshwater fish. Yeah, it's meaty, right? It is. Like it's, it is. It's, yeah, and that's another fish, man, that people are... I'm kind of fascinated with like catfish, gar, grinnells, or like what like bowfin. Both bowfin, yeah. Yeah. You know, these like kind of prehistoric fish, these survivors, I think they're super interesting. Also, like the places I'm catching them, that's one of the things I'm doing when I'm taking people on these trips is like, we're catching fish, but I mean... Look, this isn't like a, there's not like a real big learning curve to figure out how to to trot line catfish, right? right. (laughs) So we're talking about other stuff. And like one of the things we talk about is, you know, we're catching them in this kind of ephemeral area where, you know, these are places where we might just be in an eight foot channel in June, but in December, I'm, that water gets up and goes in all the trees and I'm hunting ducks down there, right? In the timber. But you're dealing with these like cypress trees you know, these kind of primordial trees that have these early type of leaves, the, the way that they bring oxygen into their forms is very different, like with those cypress knees and stuff. And so it does feel like you're almost in this Jurassic 
kind of environment where like the trees are have been around for millions of years and the fish you're catching have been around for millions of years. It just seems kind of, I don't know, man, it's just cool. It's kind of like a little bit of a time machine. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then you got the turkeys as the velociraptors. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And I'm all about the turkeys. Too. I know. How many, did, how many did you get on this trip? I killed six this year. Wow. I so you got, you got all three in California, right? Yeah. I got three in California, two in Oregon, and I killed an Eastern in Michigan. Mm, Michigan of all places. Yeah. I went and did this thing with Sitka and the NWTF and dude might've been one of the coolest turkey hunts of the year. I mean, it was, it was rad, 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 man. <laughs> and it was quick too, man. Like we got him. We killed that turkey at five fifty-five in the morning. Oh, wow. Uh, and he just gobbled his head off and there were hens all over the place. And yeah, he just, he came in and I just saw like the very top of his little red head and <laughs> Yeah, I got him. At, he was like a 46 yard and I got him. It was cool. That's a pretty long shot. Man, yeah. That I mean, look, everyone likes to talk trash about my old Walmart 870, man, but that thing has killed a I've only killed two birds that weren't with that 870. And uh everything else I've ever killed bird wise has been with that two hundred dollar Walmart gun, man. It's I mean, there's a reason there's more of them than anything, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like the AK 47 of shotguns. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't want to be associated with AK-47 these days, man. I mean, you know, I'm no fan of the Russians, but they made a damn good gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, it's that man. There really is something to be said for just a. It's like a, the Dodge Dart of guns. Yeah, just an incredibly tough utilitarian tool that you know it. What it lacks in sex appeal, it makes up for in like just always working, right? I mean, and that's one of the beauties of catfishing in general, I mean, to swing it back to catfish, is that with some exceptions, catfishing is a back pocket fishery in the sense that if you're not having an easy time catching other things, catfish bite pretty much anything. And if you're in a place where catfish live, you know, obviously if you're in a cold running <laughs> icy stream in the mountains, you're not going to be catching any catfish. But if even here in California, where they're not that common, if I really needed to catch catfish, I can do it. And you know, if you're looking for something to eat, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, man, I'll take a brim over everything. I'd rather have an 18-inch channel cat or blue cat. or I love those little catfish. And they're fun to catch. They're easy to catch. There's usually a lot of them. And they're just, they're good for kids, you know? Yeah, there's something democratizing about them. Like, I can tell you when COVID hit a couple of years ago and like, I mean, you know, that first two weeks when like, it was like the sky is falling, right? Like even Arkansas, like there was a statewide curfew. Like you couldn't be out past nine. I mean, it was crazy, right? But the only exceptions were you could go to work, you could go to the doctor, or you could get food. And that, and they said that was going to the grocery store, or that was hunting or fishing. So the first thing I did was I went up to the lodge and I stayed there for a few days and I just ran trot lines, right? I mean, it's not that I, I wasn't at a want for meat in my freezers, but I was like, eh it wouldn't hurt to put a little bit more up. Right. And I just ran trot lines and caught a ton of fish and it wasn't hard. It was a really enjoyable time. And then I came back home and I kind of disseminated that to people that had no frame of reference for collecting wild food. Right. And like we gave it to, I've told the story before, but like we gave like a quart bag of fillets to a couple that we're friends with that they were both waiters and so they had no income for like weeks and weeks and weeks and we gave them those catfish fillets and they were super stoked 
because they're like, man, we've been eating peanut butter and jelly for a week straight, right? Oh, man. And that's the thing, man. Something that people talk about as being like not fit to eat or this like deplorable animal that doesn't deserve any respect. Like in that instance, that was everything good about everything good about like where I live and the idea of community and this catfish was like eating fried catfish was so culturally ubiquitous that it like made these people's lives significantly better. I mean, for a day or two, right? But it was a change from peanut butter and jelly and it was good, right? Yeah. Well, that's a really good way to tie, tie a bow on things because that's about, and that's kind of how I feel about catfish as well, is that they're the people's fish. And we're something like a trout, unless you live in very specific areas, trout to me at least feels more like an elite fish. And it's not true in some places, but the culture behind trout is a little bit more pinky in the air than with catfish. And the same thing with like oysters versus clams. Oysters seem to be, you know, you wear a suit while you eat oysters and you wear flip-flops while you eat clams. And I kind of tend towards the catfish and clam side of things rather than the trout and the oyster kind of things. Yeah. I mean, I'd say with oysters, though, like, unless you get deep down here in the South, you know, and then it's like slamming beers and you got a burlap sack full of oysters on a fire, right? True. True. I mean, and, and same thing with like, with trout up in the Pacific Northwest where everybody catches trout. Like, it's there's... You don't have to be, you know, a river runs through it because, <laughs> you know, up there, trout means fish. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where should people find you on the series of tubes that we call the internet? Yeah, pretty easy, man. Either blackduckrevival.com. You can go there if you want to, you know, go do a catfishing trip or do one of the duck or goose hunts or I've got recipes up there and just all the writing, all that kind of stuff. Or, uh, Social media, like I pretty much just do Instagram and the handle on that's just Black Duck Revival. Yeah, Instagram for me has become it's sort of the last vestige of the mostly drama-free social media where things still tend to be pretty positive. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, I haven't gotten one of my pictures censored in a while. So oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, don't get me started about that. The like, last just, one was a catfish one. It was it was like me cleaning a catfish and it got censored. <laughs> so weird so weird well thank you jonathan for being on the show uh i will put all of the links in the show notes and uh let's go get some catfish someday yeah anytime you want to man well that's another episode of the hunt gather talk podcast i am your host hank shaw and we are sponsored by efish and filson hope you enjoyed it hope you get some insights into catfish whether you fish for them or not and good luck if you go out there looking for them as usual i am on instagram at Hunt Gather Cook. I run a website called Hunter Angler Gardener Cook, and that is huntgathercook.com. And you can find me on Facebook in a Facebook group called Hunt Gather Cook. It is a private group, and you have to answer questions to get in. Just say that you listen to the podcast, and I will let you in. Take it easy out there. Be safe as always. And I hope you guys have a really, really good time and a really good week out in the outdoors. Until next time, I'm Hank Shaw. Talk to you soon.